Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 303 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, the godfather, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? When's the uh, the uh, Red Leg Nation uh, Christmas party? Bill, um, I'm sorry. I didn't, get my, I didn't get my invitation. We all had a vote. And after the way you uh, you uh, embarrassed everyone that one year, you're not invited anymore. Well, you shouldn't have had Brandon Phillips at the party. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It was my fault. But, uh, you know, that being said. Next time I'm bringing Bill Plummer with me. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Um, if you're going to bring Bill Plummer, actually, we'll put you back on the invitation list. All right. There we go. BP's no longer. He's persona non grata, too. So, <laughs> you, and him, you and him aren't friends anymore. <laughs> that's right. No, we're not on speaking terms <laughs> since he sent me some nasty uh, nasty messages on the, the Twitter site. So we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Reds now. It's been an eventful week for the Reds, but uh, it's a new year, and we're going to have a, some special uh, all-decade talk as well here later in the in the podcast. But do have some big news that we need to discuss, and that's the Reds uh, signed a, a free agent today. And, of course, uh, by that I mean, or this week, I mean right-handed reliever Tyler Th- Thornburg was signed to a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training. So exciting news for the Reds, right? Yeah, I, I sent in for my World Series tickets today. Yeah, Tyler Thornburg, 31-year-old pitcher. Uh, no, happy to have Tyler Thornburg, uh, minor league invi- invite to spring training. Uh, whatever, that's, you know, I don't have a problem with any of those, but obviously the, the big deal that uh, was consummated this week was the Reds signing – Shogo Akiyama, Japanese outfielder, to a deal for three years and somewhere north of $15 million is the, uh, what the reports say. Uh, some conflicts, but it has been reported and has been confirmed. And Shogo Akiyama still has to have a, a physical and everything, but he's going to be a Cincinnati Red. Now, there are some other rumors, things going around that uh, may put the Akiyama signing in uh, more uh, focus for us. But overall, we've talked about Akiyama on the podcast before, overall, I think I'm pretty happy with this signing. You have any initial thoughts on uh, on the new signing? Well, I, I'm, you know, kind of. This is kind of like a, a Christmas present to me. I don't know, you know. I just know what I've read about him. I've never seen him play, like most of us. And and and, but as you and Jason were talking about last week, I'll take a guy that gets on base at the rate he does. I mean, I am. I'm really excited about this signing. Now, you know, maybe once we get to see him up close and personal, we won't be as excited as we are now. But Right now, I, I think this is a really good move. Again, it gives him so much more versatility in the outfield. Yeah, he can play anywhere in the outfield. He's been a center fielder, and all the reports are that he's not quite uh, likely to stick in center field full-time, although he could still play there some. Uh, but it does give him so much flexibility in getting on base. You know, Since 2015 season began, uh, Akiyama has hit 321 with a 399 on on-base percentage and almost a 500 uh, slugging percentage as well in Japan. Now, again, that's Japan, and that's you know uh, not exactly a Major League Baseball competition, uh, but it's close. And uh, so, you know, he's a guy that you can uh, expect, I would think, to contribute almost immediately uh, to the Reds in some capacity. So I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it. And I'm not only excited because the Reds signed, made another uh, free agent signing, but also because for at least the next three years, I get to say Shogo Akiyama. I love it. Is that going to be your new, your new punch oh. word? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Shogo, go, go. 
<laughs> show go go go. Um, I could show. What do you think? Heeman one and 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 Winker and two against right-handed pitching. Uh, man, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it really does. Sounds, sounds like some base runners to me. It does. I, frankly, it also, you know, you got Senzel in there somewhere that gets on base a lot. It, you know, depending on what happens uh, the next little bit. So, uh, it, I, I just I could not be more excited about a guy like this. You know, the Reds have not yet acquired that big stud that we were hoping for, and that may still come by trade. Uh, they weren't able to get any. Yeah, you know, like Mustakas is a, is a good player. I like Mike Mustakas, but. Akiyama is not really one that moves the needle a ton, but he is a serious upgrade in talent. And it, this is a, you know, a, another piece to a winning team and, and clearly a piece to a, um, a bigger puzzle because when it happened, I said, this can't be the last move. I mean, there's gotta be something else going on, right? Because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, where's he going to play? First of all, um, do the Reds think he can play center field? If so, well, what's the deal with Senzel? Uh, do they think he can play right field full-time? I don't know. My first thought was, boy, I like the idea. And I think I said this with Jason. I really like the idea of Akiyama and uh, Kino platooning in right and Winker and Irvin in left. And then you start, start looking like a decent outfield. The the, the news came out uh, earlier today that the Reds are one of three teams that are still hot and heavy trying to sign uh, free agent Marcel Ozuna, who we've talked about many times here. Um, now, Bill, I'll let you take the first crack at this, but that leaves a lot of outfielders. If the Reds were to sign Ozuna, and I'm not, not against that either. I think Ozuna has uh, has uh, his good qualities. But that you'd have, here's your outfielders. Nick Senzel, Jesse Winker, Aristides Aquino, Philip Irvin, um, Marcelo Ozuna. Not not counting guys like Josh Van Meter and Travis Jankowski, who they got earlier this year. Um, Shebler. Scott Shebler. I mean, you know, Mark Payton, the Rule 5 guy. So... Um, but even just the guys that we expected to be around, Senzel, Winker, Aquino, Irvin, uh, Shogo, and Ozuna, that's six names for uh, uh, three spots. How does all this play out? Well, I, I think, and I think what you're alluding to is there has to be something else in play here. Um, one th- I want to say one thing. I want to agree with, with Doug Gray, and I think he said this on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I would have rather had Corey Dickerson than Azuna or Castellanos. I like Corey Dickerson. Uh, but, you know, ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all be happy at Christmas. Uh, Azuna, you know, he may, he'll make them a better, like you, like you said, he'll make them a better team. But they're going to be so overpacked with, with outfielders at this point that you have to believe something else is going on. Whether you know whether it's uh, you know a trade with Cleveland, whether it's a three you know you, we've heard you've heard rumors of three team deals, blah blah blah. Um, I like the Seager kid in L.A. too. You know he he would be a hell of an upgrade for us too if we ended up with him. That would that'd be a hell of a consolation prize. Yeah, yeah. I I think to me the one thing that starts to look eh, maybe I'm just uh, overanalyzing. I don't know, but it starts to look to, an awful lot to me like the Reds are seriously shopping. Uh, Nick Senzel in one of these big uh, trade packages, perhaps for Francisco Lindor. I don't know. Um, but that would make sense because you've got two guys in Akiyama and Ozuna who could perhaps share some center field. Uh, both have played center field. Uh, you've got a bunch of guys that you could mix and match. Like a, someone in our Slack channel, uh, Redignation Radio Slack channel, that you can get access to if you uh, join us at uh, patreon.com slash redlegradio. But somebody said uh, a super platoon in the outfield of a bunch of different guys. And 
yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure. The only ways that signing Ozuna and Akiyama makes sense to me are there are only two ways to me. Number one, um, at least one or more of these outfitters is gone in a trade. Um, and they're pretty confident that's going to happen. Number two, Nixon's El Musta shortstop. Now, I don't see that happening. And so uh, the only other option to me would have to be, I don't know how you go. Maybe you do, you know, you, you ride with Senzel, Winker, Akiyama, and, uh, and Ozuna as your four primary outfielders. I don't know. That's a pretty good outfield. That's a real good outfield. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at Ozuna here and last time he played much center and, you know, any sizable time in center field was in 16. Um, but you know, as I think you guys have talked about in the past, they were playing Winker in center field last year. So, you know, there's their their uh, decision on who to play in center field. The bar isn't real real high, right? And with all the shifting and everything these days, I, I still don't know. I, I, I you for years kind of used to try to get me to pump the brakes on the defensive metrics. Yeah, uh, and, and believe in them, and that's that's been one thing that we've constantly talked about. And I've always been a little bit more of a believer in them. And, and, and I'm I'm coming over to your your side of the fence on that. I believe less and less in defensive metrics, and and I just don't know. The Reds have so many proprietary things that we don't have access to. They may uh, truly believe that uh, with that you can make do with a what would, you would think is a worse defensive lineup, uh, just because of shifting and uh, and things like that. So yeah, positioning and yeah. So I don't know. You know, I guess I guess. I'm talking myself out of saying there has to be a trade, but that seems the most likely scenario is that the Reds are expecting that they're going to be able to make a trade. And uh, if they're, you know, if they're going to get somebody back, it's going to be a shortstop. And one of these names you mentioned, uh, presumably, and I would have to think that Senzel would be in the mix in a deal like that. Where do you, where do you come down on trading Nick Senzel? I, I, and I think you said this last week with Jason, I, I would really struggle to do it for two years of Lindor but I would probably do it, but I, but I don't think I'd give him much else. I mean, you're giving up what is it, five years of Senzel? Uh six years, I think, right? Five or six. Well, and probably you know if he if he challenges the yeah the last year, you know, blah blah blah. Uh, it could be five, it could be six, but um, I guess you know I I just really struggle to give that up for two years of of hardly anybody, maybe Mike Trout. Uh, and he could play center field. <laughs> yeah, we'd we'd do that. <laughs> yeah, but, but I but I but I would probably do it. But I wouldn't throw much else in with it. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that you know all the the rumors that or the speculation. Our buddy uh, Leatherpants Jim Bowden had a piece on at the Athletic where he suggested the Reds trade Senzel, India Mali, and somebody else. I think uh, for. Uh, Lindor and man, I really love Francisco Lindor. I really want Lindor, and, and none of the, those players we're talking about are, are going to be as good in those next two years as Lindor. But man, I just I, I have a tough. Well, there's time. a reason Jim Bowden isn't a GM anymore. <laughs> is it because he wears leather pants? I don't think it is. I think it's because his judgment is questionable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a reason that we're doing podcasts and not getting a paycheck from a ball club too. So that's true. So um, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I've long said that no one is untouchable, and so uh, I like Nick Senzel probably more than most. But he's uh, he's not untouchable in, in any stretch of the imagination. But man, um, 
I guess well, you have to make a decision of the, the two years of Lindor worth how many years of Senzel. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, so that's, that's the equation. I just you got Senzel, who I believe is going to be a centerpiece of this offense for uh, as long as he's here, and I don't give that up very easily. A young guy that can get on base, that you know has a great plate approach, uh, who's athletic, uh, one of the fastest center fielders in baseball last year by all the uh, the speed metrics, um, and so it is only going to get better. Uh, as a center fielder, I just that's a that's a valuable guy to me. Now you do have the injury questions and all that, which have to be taken into account. But um, I just I, I, right, I'd probably do it if it's just Senzel and, and some lesser piece. But uh, man, that'd be hard to do because I think you're giving up a lot. Um, yes, saying that about Senzel, and, I, and you are probably higher on him than almost probably than anybody I know. Um, how disappointed were you in his 2019? Not at all. Other than the injury. Uh, because I, 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 let me tell you what happened uh, on that. Um, the Reds forced him to change his stance and his swing. And you can pinpoint the exact day when it happened, and that's when it all went downhill for him. Um, and, uh, you know, he tried to do it. He tried to do what they requested of him. They didn't force him, but they asked him to. And he tried, you know. He wants to do what the coaches say. Those coaches aren't there anymore. Um, Nick Senzel has hit, until they made him change his swing, he has hit everywhere he's been. University of Tennessee, Cape Cod League, all the way through the minors, and in Cincinnati. His numbers, August 3rd, I think was the date, second or third, if you look at his numbers on that date, are very good for a rookie. I think he had a 385 on base percentage at that time. Uh, or no, 285 average and three, I don't remember what his on base was. So, I uh, I was obviously disappointed in the the final numbers where they are, but I think there's a very clear uh, line of demarcation um, as to why it went down and why everything before that point in his entire career was uh, was uniformly good. And so I, I'm not I'm worried about his uh, ability to stay healthy more than I've ever been. I think that's the only thing that's going to keep him from being a star is it whether he can stay healthy. And I'm he's going to have to he's going to prove that, but. Um, Production-wise, I'm not concerned at all. You feel differently? No, I, I, I don't. I, you know, I, but I, I expected him to be better last year than he ended up being. And, 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 you know, a lot of it is attributable to what you say. And you wonder whether that's why those hitting coaches are not here any longer. Um, and, 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 you know, the the other thing is the injury thing. Is him, him and, and same thing about Winker. You know, you guys have mm-hmm. been talking about how Winker rakes, and he absolutely does. But you can't help the club when you're in the tub, you know. It's 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 completely fair, and uh, you know if you fluke things, and and a lot of Sinzels have been flukes, but on the other hand, they're adding up now. It's every year the last three years he's had these issues. Uh, Winker, you're exactly right. Winker, when he's hitting, man, you put him against a right-handed pitcher when he's healthy, and he's going to he's going to rake. But yeah, what was that? What was that? You can't when you're in the tub. You can't but help it's the a club when you're in the tub. <laughs> I like that. You can't help. Like George Hallis or somebody <laughs> said that, or I don't remember who. I think it was a football coach that, that I heard that said that. Somebody I'm sure will be able to tell us who that quote is from. Oh, man, that should be the headline for the the name of this podcast. You can't help the club. <laughs> no, show, go, go, go. Show, go, go, go. All right, there we go. Show, go, go, go. Um, 
But wouldn't it be great if we if it was still the base stealing era? Wouldn't he be a great guy to be stealing bases? Oh my goodness gracious! It'd be fantastic. <laughs> That'd be great. I, I'm 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 really thrilled. I, I, I'm like you. I'm thrilled about the, getting Akiyama. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a present that you get to unwrap and you don't really know what you're going to get. That's true. Yeah, you know, you expect <laughs> it to be pretty good. You've heard that it's been, yep. it's been pretty good. You know that it's pretty good, but you know we don't know. Also, we probably should mention the Reds are the last big league team now uh, to have signed a player from Japan. And, yeah, um, and I th- that's good. It is good. I mean, I think that the Reds, frankly, did not uh, did not spend much in terms of scouting internationally um, in the past enough. They haven't been competitive in that front, and they've completely given away certain areas of the world uh, to other clubs. Uh, and they're changing that approach uh, over the last few years, the last couple years, since Dick Williams really started implementing a lot of these changes. And so I think this is maybe the first uh, fruit of their uh, of the new uh, investment into international scouting. And uh, I, I hope it works out. We, I don't know that it will. I feel pretty good about it. I think he's going to be at least worth what he's going to be making. I mean, you know, we're talking five, six million a year, which is a lot of money to me. But uh, it's not a ton of money for a big league outfitter necessarily. So they're not expecting him to come in and be a star. But he can come in and uh, certainly be worth that, I would think, uh, so we'll I would see. be shocked if he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, me, and like you said too. about the, the international scouting, you know, the, the bigger net you throw, the more fish you're going to catch. That's right. And, and, you know, you hopefully get some good, you know, we get some good fish with this bigger net. I hope so. And I hope we have a lot of better things uh, coming. That sort of leads into the last thing I wanted to mention before we get into our topic for the week, which is that um, baseball America had their uh, rankings this week of every big league team's draft performance in the 2010s. And I don't know if you saw this, uh, Bill. I didn't uh, give you a heads up we were going to talk about this, and we don't need to talk about it much, because I just, but I wanted to, because it, it reflects back into what we're talking about with the international scouting, that in terms of ranking every team's MLB draft performance during the decade of the 2010s, the Reds were dead last. Worst draft performance in the 2010s. And uh, that, combined with uh, international scouting and um, lousy trades for all their assets, is why the rebuild, uh, you know, mostly failed, frankly. So, Was there one good trade that they made? Oh, yeah, there was more than one. You know, Luis... No, I mean, but, you know, during the rebuild, I'm trying to think of where I would say, boy, they, 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 you know, they snookered them on that. Oh, there was, I, I think, uh, Evangelio Suarez... Um, Getting him for Alfredo Simon, Luis Castillo for Dan Straley. Some of these. Ones yeah, but, see, I don't. Those weren't guys that they were trading to rebuild. I don't think those are guys that they were done with. I'm talking about like the Bruce trade, the you know guys that still had some value to the team. Well, those were trades though that they snookered other teams. The ones, yeah, I, absolutely. The ones where they had actual assets and were trying to move them right. to uh, affect the rebuild. Uh, it, maybe that it's escaping me. I think they got fleeced on every single one of them. I don't know yep. about fleeced. I, you know, I think the I think the Cueto trade was actually reasonable. I still think so. I did, it didn't work out, and some of that might be because of the Reds' development system. But they got three live arms, um, and uh, that were well regarded around baseball for two months of Johnny Cueto. I mean, I, I think that was a. It, it doesn't look good in retrospect necessarily. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah. But I, I, I forgot about the, the Cueto deal. Yeah, when you get th- three guys that, that look like they're going to be able to help you, you know, they had good track records coming into here, and, and they just didn't pan out. Uh, but you know, the trades, uh, the Frazier and and uh, you know, Bruce and Chapman. 
Right, yeah. All those, they absolutely, because of Walt Jockey's insistence on getting guys that were kind of close to the big leagues because he didn't know what he was doing, frankly, and, and thought that the, he thought that the Reds were close, I guess. I don't know. Um, and getting guys like Peraza, who's fine. I like per- Jose Peraza, but, you know, uh, and Shebler and, you know, um, trading uh, Araldus Chapman and getting nothing out of it except for an assistant pitching coach now. Caleb Cotham is the Reds' yeah. assistant. I mean, uh, just... And we probably could have got him without the trade. <laughs> probably. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and at some point, we probably do need to do a, a rebuild retrospective, um, although I don't know sure I want to because, yeah. On, oh, and, God, on, no. on all the big deals, except for maybe the Cueto one, and again, I'm, I'm just going to do this off the top of my head, on all the big deals, they kind of dropped the ball. I think. Yeah, they did not come out looking good. And can you imagine where we'd be if they hadn't uh, gotten Luis Castillo and Eugenio Suarez on these other deals? Because those ended up being huge pieces for this current team. I can't imagine. I don't want to think about that. Oh, my goodness. Where would we be without those two? So, Anyway, enough of that. Come on. We're excited now. It's going to be the, the 2020s are going to be the decade of the Cincinnati Reds, right? It'll be the new, the new red machine. The new red machine in the 2020s. It's going to be just like the 70s. We're going to roll, baby. That's exactly right. And since we just finished up a decade, we uh, thought we'd bring you one uh, one last all-decade uh, all decade list here. As we're starting the new one, we're going to go back through the most memorable moments of the 2010s. You know, um, there's, this, there's this book that's out. You may have read it. I, probably not, Bill, but it's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds. And so um, I wanted to look there's back. Right there. <laughs> Outstanding. I wanted to look back at... The top 10 most memorable moments of the 2010s for the Reds. Not that many. And uh, you said something uh, before we, when we were discussing this before that we really could probably just put uh, different Joey Votto seasons at every spot on this list, right? Yeah, it would be you know hard to argue that Joey was not the highlight of the decade. Yeah, it was, it was the decade of Joey. So, but we will talk about Joey, but let's, uh, let's count them down, starting from number 10. The top 10 most memorable moments of the 2010s for the Cincinnati Reds, a mostly brutal decade with some real highlights. Um, Number 10 on the list, Aristides Aquino going crazy in August, winning the National League Player of the Month in his first month in the big leagues. Um, Aquino, of course, 14 home runs uh, in that month. Aquino, a guy who had been uh, non-tenor, anybody could have had him in the offseason. He signs back with the Reds and then goes crazy, changes his stance, and uh, you know, fourth on the list of most home runs in one month by a rookie. Um, ties the Reds' record for most home runs in a calendar month. In his first month in the big leagues, tied the Reds' franchise record for most home runs in a calendar month with 14, Aristides Aquino. That, was, that month was just completely insane. He he was a lot of fun to watch. He seems like he he's a a really quality guy. He looks like he's and you've talked about this in the past. He looks like he's having fun. You know, he, he's not out there drudging every night. But and you talked about how he could have walked away. And and there's there were many stories told during the season while you know when when he was playing that he didn't want to play for anybody else. Right. You know, he he wanted to stay with the Reds, which you know there's there's some value to that too to having a guy that's that's got some uh, loyalty to the ball club. But, yeah. He he had a pre, he had a pretty good August. <laughs> pretty good. It's seventy nine total bases in August. That's a career for some guys. <laughs> it is. Hit three twenty, fourteen homers, thirty three RBIs in one month. 
I mean, it's really just uh, and on and his on base percentage was three ninety one. I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, just a, uh, a fantastic moment and, and clearly deserving of being on the top ten. But uh, you do point out something that I am going to probably continue to say that has be, is just I, I like it doesn't have anything to do with baseball necessarily, but I like having guys like Aristides Aquino around who are. Um, who have fun and uh, seem like they have a good personality and, uh, you know, just likable guys. There's, as a fan, there's, value. I don't know how much value there is, uh, you know, from a team building perspective, I'll leave that to the front office, but from a fan perspective, give me as many of those guys as, as you, you can get. And Aquino's one of them, right? Yeah, he sure seems like it anyway. And, and I've never, I haven't heard a bad word about the guy, you know. No, no. And people were coming out of the woodwork to praise him when he, was, when he was having that month saying, oh, it couldn't happen to a better guy. So number nine on the list. And uh, if you ask me on a different day, I could probably put this a little bit higher on the list because I was in the ball yard that day. It was the, probably the most exciting moment for me ever in a uh, ballpark. Uh, no, 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 that's not true. There's another on this list that's the most exciting for me ever uh, at the ballpark. Um, this was probably number two, though. But number nine on our list of the top ten most memorable moments of the 2010s, uh, Todd Frazier in the 2015 uh, Major League Baseball Home Run Derby. Um, we could probably also add that, you know, just as a moment, having the All-Star Game in Cincinnati, that was a big deal, even though it was part of the reason why the Reds delayed starting their rebuild because they had, the, had it coming. Yep. But, uh, but the, you know, Todd Frazier, Home Run Derby. Any thoughts about that one? I, st- I, I struggle with this because I'm not a Home Run Derby guy. Mm-hmm. And I know, and you said that you've told me this many times that it was so amazing in the ballpark that night. But I'm a, I was always a Todd Frazier fan. Um, the only thing I will say about this is, after he won the home run double, he collapsed in the second half of that season. He hit two twenty the rest of the year. His, his OPS was six sixty four for the second half of that season. It's after, true. After having been nine twenty two in the first half. It's true. If if you go back and look at it, that started about two or three weeks before the All-Star break, I think. But you're right. He was awful in the second half. Um, but that night, for that one night, you know, Cincinnati was the showcase uh, of the of the baseball world. And I don't know, it was just, uh, it was electric in there because the fans were uh, pulling for him. And it was it was the loudest, it was, it was definitely the loudest I've ever heard Great American Ballpark. It wasn't the most exciting moment I've had at Great American Ballpark, but it was the loudest that I've ever heard that ballpark. And uh, trying to will him to victory, and he came behind, back from behind in every round. I don't know. It was a that was a big moment, um, and I, I hope it played as well on television. I was so fortunate to be uh, be able to be there, um, and uh, it's something my son as well. Uh, you know, um, he, he also went zero for three in the game. <laughs> well, whatever, who cares? He won the home run derby. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what. And we only had. I didn't realize this until I looked it up. That we only had two guys on the All Star squad that year. Uh, Chapman, right? Yep. And but do you know who won the uh, future red? Won the MVP of the All Star game that year? Do you know who that was? No. Future red, Mike Trout. Oh. So there you go. All right. He's uh, playing center field. That's we're going to trade Senzel for Trout. Even up. I would. I'm sorry, Nick Senzel. I love you, but I would trade it straight up for Mike Trout. Yeah. Uh, first, I'd see if they'd take like Josh Van Meter. I like Van Meter. But, you know, the only problem is, you know, it, it, well, it probably wouldn't happen now, but if, if Walt Jockety was still the GM, we'd be betraying Nick Senzel for a trout. <laughs> right. That's true. 
Ugh. Maybe Randy. You know, he sleeps with the fishes, you know? <laughs> it would come wrapped up like the guy in The Godfather. Oh, my gosh. All right, so number 10, Aristides, Aquino, Aristides Aquino's uh, August. Number nine, Todd Frazier, Home Run Derby, 2015. Number eight, and, and in terms of a moment, I would put this at his final start of the season, but really it encapsulates just a brilliant uh, 2014 for Johnny Cueto. Uh, before I get into his final start there and how he capped it off, um, because I happen to be there that day too as well. Maybe, that, maybe I'm overrating some of these because I happen to be in, the, in there. But I don't think you can overestimate uh, how good, especially in, in the Reds history, how good his 2014 was. Can you kind of put that into perspective about how good he was that year? He was pretty amazing. He led the league in, in games started, innings, strikeouts, batters faced, hits per nine, came in second in the Cy Young, made the all-star team. He was pretty uh, – had, uh, had a war of 6.8. Yeah, 20-9, 2.25ERA. Yep. He, it was it was a pretty amazing season for for Cueto. and and a, a, one of a number of pretty amazing seasons he had while he was pitching for the Reds. I, you know, I think it's it's an argument. I think maybe the only pitcher that I can think of in my lifetime for the Reds that was a better pitcher was uh, Jose Rio. Um, and I think it's even arguable at his height here in 2014, Johnny Cueto might be as good as any Reds pitcher since you know I don't know 1950 or so. Um, just uh, unbelievable. Um, where where do you rank Cueto in terms of the of best Reds pitchers in your lifetime? In the top five, at the very least, you know, I, I think about Maloney, I think about Gary Nolan, Gullet, Riho, Cueto. Um, somebody else just ran out of my head. For for me, you know, Mario Soto. That's the other one. Yeah, so that's I was gonna say. I've, I've got it's Rio, Cueto, are kind of one and one A, and then Soto's uh, just behind. Um, so that's how that's how. Uh, uh, and, and Soto played on always played on bad ball clubs. Uh, but they were the Reds, so we loved them, right? Oh yeah, but it, it would have been interesting to see him pitch. You know, if, if he'd have been a few years older, being pitched in the on the you know in the big red machine, pitched in the seventies instead of the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, uh, Cueto won his 20th game that season on September the, the 28th. And it was a Sunday afternoon game. We said, oh, let's go on to the old ballpark to, uh, to see if he can get his 20th victory. And, uh, you know, he ended up pitching, uh, eight innings, gave up one, uh, six hits, one run, struck out seven, didn't walk anybody. So, I mean, it was just another great start. Um, but he also got the, and, and Cueto, if you remember, was not a good hitter, but he got the hit, uh, up the middle to, uh, for drive in the go ahead run. And so, uh, just a, it was a fun day at the at the old ball yard, and uh, I don't know. I'm just uh, he's another guy that I just I'm always going to be fond of. He was fun to have on the team, and maybe the Reds need to go get him back. How about Cueto's your number five starter? You handle that. that? Wouldn't be bad. I could, that would, I, that'd be all right. Uh, who did, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the box score on on Baseball Reference for that game. You're going to mention what I had meant to say a moment ago, and I forgot. Go ahead. Who did Cueto drive in? Oh, who did he drive in? Um, the, I can look it up here. I don't remember. Who was it? Jason Burgoyne? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Bourgeois? Bourgeois. Jason like Bourgeois. Something. Come on. It's one of them names. I, and he played left field. <laughs> I, I don't even remember this guy. You don't remember? Oh, my gosh. He played, and he played in 
18 games in 2014 and 68. He got 200 of bats. Played appearances for the Reds in 2015. I have no memory of this guy. Jason Bourgeois. Here I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a meme for you. I'm gonna see how many of our uh, listeners know anything about their memes. You can let me know. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. So you don't know what that means, do you? No, I have no clue what that means. Yeah, Christopher Negron was the leadoff hitter that day. Um, yeah. But uh, what I was going to mention was uh, who did uh, who did Cueto beat that day? Who, the other team starter pitched seven innings. That they're playing the Pirates. Only gave up one run on four hits. Struck out twelve and walked none. Guy that's been in the headlines this offseason, Garrett Cole. Yeah, but he, he didn't get the loss, though. He did not get the loss. That's true. Mr. Cole. Yep. So. You see what? You, now, you know, if you give him any trouble, he just hits you with his wallet. <laughs> yes, it's pretty thick. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now, no, that's number eight, uh, Johnny Cueto's 2014. Number seven. Uh, you know, and, and this is uh, all subjective. Where do you put any of these? This is a pretty memorable moment for a lot of uh, us longtime fans, and that's, of course, um, Marty Brenneman retiring after 46 years behind the Reds' microphone in 2019. Um, this could be weird this year, not having Marty behind the microphone, isn't it? It is going to be weird. I, you know, and, and I talked about this at the end of the season. I didn't have the emotional attachment that a lot of people had to Marty, and I, I don't know why, but it, it's definitely going to be bizarre not hearing, and, and, and it won't be as good. There is nobody that that's on this roster of announcers that can call a game like Marty Brenneman could. Nobody. No, not even close. And you know, um, it'd be it'll be fine. I don't have, uh, although some of the these guys they bring in for you know one or two games here and there are really kind of bad. I'm not going to mention any names. Um, but <laughs> but I, I, I think I, th- <laughs> I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to mention names, but their initials are Doug Flynn and uh, Danny Graves. Um, and Sean Casey's pretty bad, too. Yeah, but he's fun. Yeah, uh, he's fun, but oh but my yeah. God, I couldn't sit there and listen to him for nine innings. I agree. Um, but, you know, you're right. It won't be the same, just like it was never the same after the 31 years of Marty and Joe ended. It was never the same, never yeah. as good. Marty was still right. good, but it was never as good. Um, Jeff Brantley has transformed himself into a, a pretty good broadcaster. After a rough start, I thought, but um, yeah, you know, it's just going to be different, and and you just can't really talk about the Reds over the last uh, you know five decades without Marty uh, being a, a part of it because he was kind of the soundtrack to to some really great Reds themes and really bad Reds themes, but uh, he was there with all of us, I guess. So that's the uh, number seven most memorable moment: Marty actually finally retiring. Let's see now. The uh, no, we're up to number six now. This was an this is an important one to me. Number sixth on the list is Barry Larkin was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2012. Um, the way you feel about, I think the best way I can put it about the way I feel about Barry Larkin is kind of the way you feel about a guy like Pete Rose, um, because Larkin is a guy that I saw play his whole career in Cincinnati. I've, I've talked about this. I don't need to go into it enough, but anymore uh, here on the podcast but you know you got a guy that's a hall of famer that's a mvp 12-time all-star a world champion uh three gold gloves nine silver sluggers i mean and, and did it all uh from cincinnati and then did his did it his whole career in cincinnati and um just uh when he finally got elected to the hall of fame that was to me a huge moment um because he was uh i don't know he's barry does that make sense yep he's Barry Larkin's one of my favorites too. He, 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 
Uh, I've never got it. I never, I've never had the opportunity to meet Barry Larkin, but I have met his brother Byron. I, as some people know here, I'm a big Xavier basketball fan, and Byron, his brother Byron, is the all-time leading scorer at Xavier. And I've met Byron a number of times, and 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 I even got the chance to meet their father. I ran into their father at a, an event years ago, at a we were at a management conference, and he said he introduced himself, and I said Larkin. I said, are you really? He said, yeah, those are my boys. And just the <laughs> nicest. And, and everybody I've ever met, you know, both the people that I met in this family are just quality individuals. Um, Barry's a Cincinnati kid. I always root for the Cincinnati kids. Uh, 19 years as a red, you know, nine silver sluggers, three gold gloves, 12 all-star games, an MVP. Um, he's third on the reds all time in war, third in games, third in runs, second in hits, third in total bases. Second in doubles, six in RBIs, four in bet walks, third in stolen bases, third in runs created. He's a he's third in stolen base percentage ahead of Joe Morgan. <laughs> That's saying something. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say about Barry was he, he was featured quite a bit in the thing that's on this the the uh, Major League Baseball short or, or piece that they just recently did on Dave Parker and Dave's uh, battle with Parkinson's and Barry's in it quite a bit from the Reds. It's most of the Reds are, are Eric Davis, Barry Larkin and Pete Rose. And Barry tells the story about when Dave came, when Parker came to the Reds, he said, I wasn't as mature as I probably should have been. He said, and he was taking some things for granted. He said, and so one night after a game, Parker told me to come out and meet him on the field and he said, so I grabbed a bat. I figured we were going to do some hitting. He said, we went out there. And Dave basically told me that if I didn't adjust my attitude and start playing hard every day, every play, we were going to have a problem. It must have meant something to Barry because he even he called out Dave Parker. And it, Parker was at his Hall of Fame induction. He called Parker out by name in his speech. So uh, well, That's interesting. That's that's really interesting. Uh, that, that was probably on the uh, list of uh, most memorable moments of the 80s. For the Reds, because look what yeah. Barry Larkin turned into. Thank you, uh, yeah. Dave Parker. No, uh, that's Dave, uh, Parker was, Dave, Dave Parker was a heck of a player when he played for the Reds. He sure was. He sure was. Um, so Barry Larkin, though, inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, number five on our list is a moment that when I first put together just a, a, a list for us to work off of to decide how we're going to cut this down, I completely forgot this one, and it's ridiculous. Um, and this, there's an argument this could be even higher, but. Um, this is really kind of two moments combined into one. It's Homer Bailey and his uh, two no-hitters. Um, and as you reminded me before we went on air, less than a calendar year between them, right? Yeah. One was in September, late September, and the other one was in early July the following year. Um, game scores in 96 and 95. Um, the first one in the first game, we struck out against the Pirates when he struck out 10 and won the game one to nothing. And the Reds scored their run in the first top of the first inning. He threw 74 strikes and 20 of them were looking strikes, which I find was interesting because I never think of Homer Bailey as getting a lot of, you know, take, take, taking, you know, taking strikes. Yeah, yes, that's true. Uh, was but I thought that was kind of interesting looking at the, at the box scores for, for those games. Yeah. Um, the second one's July uh, 2nd, 2013, and it's memorable to me because, uh, you know, he uh, he was perfect through six innings, um, and then he walked oh. he walked Gregor, Gregor Blanco uh, with a full count in the seventh and then uh, finished the game, you know, perfect. And so they, 
they asked him, you know, what, what's the thing? What's he goes, I just, I just blank and walked a guy. <laughs> you know what happens? Yeah. Well, he didn't say blank. <laughs> he did not. I'm not going to say what he said, but just blank and walked the guy. Uh, um, and that was on T-shirts like two days later. Of I course. mean, you started seeing it on T-shirts around town. Uh, Homer Bailey, what might have been with that guy? Uh, you know, if Bailey had the, have the personality that, uh, you know, some of these other guys had, he might be way more beloved here because he had some great moments uh, for the Reds. But uh, Made a lot of money here. Well, that's what uh, you hear anytime you mention his name. Hey, he signed this week as well with Minnesota Twins, by the way. Yes, he did. Good luck to Homer. Yeah, good luck to him. Uh, <laughs> I saw he said... So we play him in the World Series, and I want to beat his brains in. But yeah, that's, that's exactly right. But uh, <laughs> they signed they signed Rich Hill as well. The the, the Twins. And so I mentioned in our Slack channel. Oh man, the Twins are going to be really good. They're going to have a really good 2011 this year. So, <laughs> but uh, all right, number four on the list of the Dreads' top ten most memorable moments of the decade. We're counting them down. Number four, June 6, thousand seventeen. Scooter Jeanette hits four home runs, becoming one of 17 players to homer four times in one game. Finished with 10 RBIs and probably the most unlikely person to hit four uh, home runs in a game. Claimed off waivers, uh, you know, months before. And uh, 38 career home runs coming into that night. Had only three home runs in the whole season up until that night. Uh, and so he hits four home runs and uh, becomes uh, a part of Red's lore. I guess so. Uh, do you have any memories of that night? No, I don't even think I was watching a ball game that night. I, I, I have no memory of it all. But the best, you know, the best thing about that. What's that? He did it. He did it against the Cardinals. That's always great. <laughs> that is, and and and, the, and they beat the Cardinals thirteen to one. Yeah, <laughs> that night. Uh, what I remember is and, I was. And, and, it, it was and Wainwright is the one that he he hit two of them off of, didn't he? Um. Oh, I think so. Let's see here. I've got it. Um. I think I've got it here. Well, I can't find it right now. But um, what I remember is that I was—I actually didn't watch it either. But I was uh, in the car with my son. We were driving uh, driving home, and uh, he'd already hit. He hit. We, we got in the car, and he hit his second right after we got in the car. I was like, "Oh, well, crazy! Scooter has two home runs." <laughs> and we were driving. We had a long drive, and listened to the rest of the game in the car. And uh, by the time he came his fourth at bat, it was. We felt like we were in the stadium because we were, you know, kind of no way is he Scooter Jeanette is he really going to be able to do this? So that was that was fun. That's just that was a that was a memorable moment. And uh, also, you've heard us talk about the uh, story with uh, the Big Fifty, which is that um, our publisher delayed publication of that book for a year for uh, for reasons, business reasons, and that uh, because they did that, it gave us an opportunity to go back to him and say, hey, can we add a chapter after he hit the four home runs? And so we got to put that in the book. Uh, I hope there are some moments uh, that happened in 2020 that should be in the second edition of the book uh, because there certainly weren't any in 2019. Although I guess actually uh, Aristides Aquino might have might apply. Yeah. Uh, let's move to number three. Number three. Uh, wait, 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 before you, what got bumped for Scooter? Uh, Walker Cooper, the previous best offensive. Uh, oh, okay. Day. All right. He had uh, three home runs, six hits, uh, ten RBIs. Um, in a game so Walker with, Cooper goes back to anonymity. Yes, we were going to try to give because him a little of, love. Because of Scooter. We didn't even change the uh, title of the chapter. It was still uh, the greatest batting performance in Red's history, I think, something like that. So, 
Number three, most memorable moment of the decade. And again, this is kind of what we talked about coming into it, which is that uh, this could really uh, have been different spots, different years for Votto. But uh, Joey Votto wins the MVP in 2010. That's uh, where we'll call the jumping off point. That's the most, maybe the, maybe the, the high point for him. Um, first Reds MVP since the aforementioned Barry Larkin. And, uh, right, I'm. That's right, yeah. And then before that, yeah, Joe... I think that's right. I, I, I was chewing on it when you jumped in there. So yeah. And then before that, uh, Joe Morgan, I believe. No, yeah. no, Foster. Foster won. That's right. So, um, but you know, at 26 years old. That's a big year for the Reds, obviously. But uh, he hits 324, 424 on base, 600 slugging, led the league in on base and slugging, 37 homers, 113 ribeye stakes. Um, uh, really, kind of. I mean, he, he there. Are, you can argue that. He had better years because um, he's had so many good ones. But uh, and I think by wins above replacement, there's probably at least two or three years that you could argue um, were better. But man, that was just that—that uh, that was when Joey Votto became the fully realized version of Joey Votto, and and we saw it all all decade. You wanted to argue for just putting his entire decade on the list, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, he averaged 153 hits and 23 home runs through for the decade. He hit 306, 428, 516 for the decade. His OPS plus average for the decade was 152. <laughs> 52% above league average. He had a war of 52.1 for the decade, and he led the team seven out of the ten years. Gosh. That's that's not bad. I worry that I'm not going to live long enough to see a better Cincinnati Red than, than Joey Votto. And the sad thing is there would be people that would argue with you. <laughs> I know it's it's one of the things that I will never ever ever understand um, is why he's not more beloved. Um, by he, more walks, people. He, he just walks too much, man. Oh my gosh, Joey Votto, MVP, two thousand ten, number three most memorable moment of the decade. We could spend an hour talking about Joey Votto, and someday we will. Um, number two on the list, most memorable moments of the decade. The 2002, the Reds clinched the 2002 Central Division Championship. So really the 2012 team winning the division championship. And, and you had a, a note uh, that I think is right. Um, we really believed at the time that they won that division championship that they were what? The best team in baseball. Yeah. The only, the only one that had a better record was the Nationals. And it was I think, I think they were a half a game better than the Reds or something like that. It was very close. Yeah, and I think there was, you know, I think the, it wasn't a consensus necessarily, but I think that a lot of people would argue that the Reds were just, uh, the Reds pitching staff was uh, as good as it's been. I mean, the best pitching staff they've had in ever. Uh, it's the pitching staff that this team is going to be, uh, you know, compared against um, going forward. Um, well, that was, the, that was the year that their, their starters started every game but one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and you talked about Cueto's, you know, 2014 he was nineteen and nine with a two seventy eight ERA and a five point two WAR and a one forty eight ERA plus in, in two thousand twelve. So he get, wasn't bad that year either. Yeah, that'll get it done. Um, and then of course, you know, you had uh, Joey Votto uh, was fantastic again that year. Although he was hurt, uh, if you remember, he got that big injury um, and only played in one hundred eleven games, but still led the team in wins over replacement. Brandon Phillips had probably his best season that year. Um, you know, Matt Latos was great. Uh, Arroyo was great. Uh, Cozart, you know, Zach Cozart was, uh, was uh, he hadn't quite become Cozart yet, but he's still pretty good. I mean, it was just a, it was a, it was a fun team. 
That was the, was that the year that, that Frazier took over for Roland at third base? Um, it looks ro- like it. Well, Roland, no, Roland played ninety two games that year. I think he was hurt. Um, Did he get hurt? Yeah, he got hurt. Frazier played in one hundred twenty eight games, but I'll have to pull it up here. Look, I think that those were mostly around the around the field, weren't they? Um, I think he played. Yeah, I don't know. Let me look. Let me look at where he played then. I've got it. Two thousand twelve. He played. Uh, well, he played 73 games at third, so that was when uh, Roland was hurt mostly. 39 at first. He played in left field. He played DH. He played right field. So, but most mostly at third base. But that was the kind yeah. of transition year where he was becoming the guy. Um, and Ryan, Ryan Ludwig had a big year for the Reds that year too. He did. He did. Ryan Ludwig, formerly the uh, most expensive free agent in Reds history. But hey, look, uh, you know he hit uh, 26 home runs. Uh, hit two seventy five, one thirty OPS plus. Really good year out in left field uh, for the Reds. So I don't know. You know and that was and Jay and, and Jay Bruce had a good year and it was a it was a team that I think you really could make the argument they were the best team in baseball, which makes it even more frustrating. Yes, it does that they could not win a single series in the postseason. Ugh. That's one of the least memorable moments. We're not going to talk about that giant series. So, uh, so now we're up to number one, the most memorable moment of the decade, and this could not be anything else, uh, in my opinion, other than Clinchmas, September twenty eighth, two thousand ten. Um, it's hard to really. I guess you can. We can kind of remember now because we've been beaten back down again as Reds fans, but it's kind of hard to remember how bad things were right before 2010. How awful the Reds had been for so long and just not even competitive. And so that year was just when, when Jay Bruce hit the home run that night in the, the uh, I guess the bottom of the ninth, right? Um, yeah, to lead off the bottom of the ninth to give the Reds the, uh, the 3-2 victory over the Astros. It was like just a weight had been lifted, and it was just pure, uh, pure joy amongst the Reds fan base. That, that's that's the best way I can describe it. What what's your, what are your memories? Just Jake being so excited, running or you know after the ball went out, after it hit the the batter's eye in center left center field, and, and uh, you know you, you felt like the the drought was over. Finally, yeah. You know, I was there sitting out in the uh, the moon deck, uh, not too far from where the home run uh, came out there. But um, I just remember, you know, uh, it happened, and it was pandemonium immediately. I remember looking at our friend uh, Joel Luckup, and we kind of looked back and forth at each other, like, "What?" You know, high five, and then wait, what just happened? How's this? How's this possible? Because we'd spent the, yeah, you know, we've been talking about the Reds all. Every day, basically, you know, for so many years. And for so many years, this said that was not even a possibility. And so um, the sad part is the most memorable moment of the decade happened uh, in 2010. Nearly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nearly 10 years ago. Well, and, 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 it had, and it had been 15 years before that since, that, that since they'd won anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's been uh, since 1995 they won a playoff game at home. Ugh. That is disgusting. 
It's 2020. That's, that's Bengal-like. That's a quarter of a century. Oh, my God. You're killing me here. Yeah, sorry about that. Anyway, it's number one uh, most memorable moment, uh, Clint. Let's, let's count them down just quickly again. The most memorable moments of the decade. Number 10, Aristides Aquino, National League Player of the Month in his first month in the big leagues. Number nine, Todd Frazier, thrilling home run derby. Number eight, Johnny Cueto's brilliant 2014 capped by uh, driving in the game-winning run and getting his 20th win in the last day of the Last home game of the season. Uh, number seven, Marty Brenneman retires after 46 years. Number six, Barry Larkin, Reds legend, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2012. Number five, Homer Bailey, two no-hitters in the decade. Number four, Scooter Jeanette, four home runs in June of 2017. Number three, Joey Votto wins the 2010 MVP. Number two, the Reds win the Central Division uh, Championship with, I'm just going to say it, the best team in baseball in 2012. And then number one, Clinchmas, the Reds win the 2010 division championship. So uh, it was, there were some fun moments. It was a, a really tough decade in a lot of ways, but there were some fun moments, right? Yep. And I got an addendum. Let's hear it. We'll call this, we'll call this number 10 a or something. Cause I had one on my list that you didn't have on yours. And that was Pete Rose being inducted in the Reds hall of fame. I was there that day and, and the ballpark was electric. It was, it was pretty neat. Um, say what you want to say about Pete Rose and, and uh, it's, It'll probably be true, but he was a heck of a ball player for this team. <laughs> no question about it. No question whatsoever. But it was a, June June twenty sixth, two thousand sixteen. Uh, they, they inducted Pete and, and retired number fourteen. Was a was a a, a, a high point in the, in the decade for me. Yeah, yeah. So um, understandable. Uh, the only other one that I had uh, that I really wanted to put on the list, but it didn't really fit, was. Uh, Amir Garrett and Yasiel Puig fighting the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> I thought those were memorable moments. Uh, so anyway, uh, that, that was fun. Let's see where we are here. We have time, I think, for just a couple of uh, viewer mail questions. Uh, if you if you want to dig into that really quickly. Absolutely. Bill Lack. Uh, these questions uh, that are presented to us at uh, patreon.com slash redlegradio, where you too can support um, the podcast things we're doing. I want to give a big thank you to my guy, Todd Stockelman, Todd, a uh, new uh, supporter of the podcast at Patreon, Todd Stockelman. Thank you so much. Now what, uh, Welcome posi- aboard, Todd. yeah. What, uh, what position does, does Todd play? To me, Todd Stockelman is a utility infielder. A utility infielder. You think so? I can see that, but I don't know. In my head, I'm getting the, the idea of a shutdown closer. He's right-handed closer. Um, probably wears some intimidating form of eyewear. That's what I'm seeing here. So maybe he's the modern day Jim Brosnan. <laughs> the modern day Jim Brosnan. Yeah, he was the first guy that wrote about baseball, pitched for the Reds in the, on the '61 team. Oh yeah, I know who Jim Brosnan is, but I've never heard anyone described as the modern day Jim Brosnan. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking he's a reliever and a you know an intellectual type. Intellectual, smart guy. There you go. Wiley veteran. (laughs) Wiley veteran. So thanks for joining. I'm bringing my George Grand descriptions out there. (laughs) You really are. Oh, man. George Grand. What a good man. Good guy. All right. So I, you know, I put out a call for, for viewer mail questions at the, at Patreon and, and did say, like, I'm not sure we're going to, we may not be able to get to all of them, but we'll get to uh, some if we can here. Um, because I knew we'd be taking some time to do the top 10 list, but um, let's see what we've got. Um, 
how about we take one from Rick Boyer? Rick Boyer says, uh, thinking of the Reds and top tier free agent signings, my thoughts that the money isn't so much the issue as the years. Do you think some of the big boys go into an eight or 10 year contract with little expectations for the back end simply because they can afford it? Reds fans do carry on about lengthy contracts such as Bailey and Votto. Yes, Reds fans do carry on uh, about those. It's ridiculous. Um, I think that's absolutely the way that, uh, certainly traditionally, I don't know things may be changing in terms of free agency, but uh, I think you, you sign up these long-term contracts knowing that you're going to get fleeced on the back end of it, but that you're going to be getting great value on the front end of it. So overall, the contract makes sense. With Joey Votto, these last few years, that he may not be earning uh, what he is being paid. But he's been so far above in terms of value, what his value is worth, above what he has been getting paid for the last, you know, 10 years, that it makes all the financial sense in the world. So um, anything you have to add to that, Bill? I, I, I agree with you, and, and I think it goes back to how, sh- how short of memories fans have. Uh, you know, they remember the front end of the can. You know, they, they, they don't remember the front end of the contract that was years ago where they were getting such a deal. But then when the guys are struggling as they age or whatever, or for whatever reason, and they're getting big money, they go, oh, God, why are they signing this long-term contract? It's holding us back. Now we can't compete. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that imitation of Red's fandom, but I like it. Uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I think, I think, Rick, I think you're right. Um, and, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm sure that fans of other teams carry on about it. Although I'm not sure any fan base cares more about what Reds, what their team's players make than the Reds fans do, because Reds fans are obsessed with how much players make. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You can't, you can't mention Vada without somebody wanting to talk about what his uh, paycheck reads. Ugh. Cal Kapler asks at to patreon.com slash Red Radio. I believe Trevor's story would be quite the quote unquote story for the 2020 season as they appear to have 2020 vision. Um, with Akiyama in the mix now, would you make that trade if it meant not giving up Sinzel and more than likely Winker? Why or why not? So uh, Trevor's story. And then uh, there's a related, kind of related question by uh, Hooper Powell that I want to add to this same uh, mix here. Uh, Hooper says, not sure Lindor is going to happen now, but can you see a scenario with him getting traded to L.A.? And, uh, and if so, how big of a package would it take to get Corey Seager from L.A.? If not, where do you go? Maybe Trevor Story or uh, Dean Segura. Um, so, uh, first of all, about Trevor Story. I like Trevor Story. He's been a valuable player. Uh, he would be an upgrade, a big upgrade at shortstop for the Reds. But I cannot s- escape the fact that his uh, away splits, his home road splits, are yep. so drastic away Dramatic. from, from course. I mean, he's still a pretty good uh, player. You know, he's not awful, but his uh, his career splits on the road are a uh, 250 average, 313 on base, 443 slugging. I mean, um, now that's pretty pedestrian. Well, for a shortstop, it you know you can handle it because uh, he is a good defensive shortstop. Um, or, you know, at least a reasonable defensive shortstop. Yeah, but he's not going to cor- he's not going to be a part of a cornerstone of your offense. He's better than Freddie Galvis. So he's an upgrade. You want to raise that bar a little bit, please? <laughs> That's the bar right now. Whoever the Reds get at shortstop okay. just has to be better than Freddie Galvis to help the team. So, But but you're right. I don't think I give up a ton for him. just because. Now, there are some other things you can say is that a lot of his away games in the, the National League West are played in parks like uh, San Diego and L.A. and, you know, these big big parks where offense is depressed as well. So there's that, some of that. So maybe he's a little better than, than, than that when he comes to the great American ballpark. But, um, I, I don't know. I just, 
I look at his wins above replacement numbers, and they're really good. And he's a guy that I really like the idea of having him um, on the team. But I'm really skeptical about whether it plays outside of Colorado. And maybe I shouldn't be as skeptical as I am. So I wouldn't give up a ton for him. Now, uh, the other the other part of that is Corey Seager and and. You know how big of a package would it take? I don't. I, Hooper, I'm sorry, I don't ever know how to answer that question because it really depends on what us, what the Dodgers want, and uh, you know, um, and there's really not much of a way for us to really know that from the outside. I like Corey Seager too, though. I mean, you Me mean, you mentioned him earlier, right? Um, and I'm just looking at him. He, what I like about Corey Seager is going to be 26 next year. Now he has yeah. he has had the injury uh, issues. Um, well, yeah, in, in 2018, he missed basically the whole season. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I guess if you're the Dodgers and you are wanting to uh, upgrade your team and you have the ability, the assets, to uh, upgrade anywhere, you should upgrade anywhere. You know, you're making your team better. Francisco Lindor is probably better than Corey Seager. Uh, but... Corey Seager's awfully good. And, uh, I mean, we're talking about a guy that was a four-win player last year uh, in his 22- and 23-year age seasons, essentially a six-win player each of those two seasons, just under. Um, I don't know. If the Reds can't get Lindor, of course, I don't know that Seager's available unless the Dodgers get Lindor, but if the Reds can't get Lindor, I would love to have Corey Seager. So, any other thoughts about that, Bill? I'm the same way. I would love to, have, you know, like you said, he would be my second choice. Oh man! All this talk that we did earlier about what happens with Sinzel and 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 all these outfielders that are, are potentially in the in the mix now, it would, you know, it's it's not an unrealistic, it's not unrealistic speculation to say that maybe there is a blockbuster still out there to happen for the Reds in terms of trade. And maybe the Reds will get a, a star-type player at shortstop. And if they can get a star-type player at shortstop, let's say they get Ozuna and they make a, a big trade for uh, a star at shortstop, either Lindor or Seager, for example, or Carlos Correa. Um, it really doesn't even matter to me who you give up in the among those outfielders. I think you probably are still got enough left to have a a playoff team. So that's... Yes, please do it, I guess. Just don't trade Sinzel unless I approve it. Jordan well, Sa- I, I assume that was a given, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, Nick, Nick, Nick would write a letter saying he wasn't going because Chad didn't say he could go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Will Delaney, your question's a good one. We are really kind of already answered that uh, here to, uh, in this podcast, so I'm going to go to uh, the last couple questions. Uh, Jordan Salisbury asks, any New Year's resolutions for uh, – for Chatter Bill, I'm looking forward to a decade where the Reds are celebrating playoff series wins and less hand-wringing. Also, special thanks to you, Bill, Jason, and Doug for doing these podcasts. They kept me sane in a tough year. Happy New Year to everyone. Hash Brown, Viewer Mail. Thank you very much for the kind words, Jordan. Thank you for, for joining the uh, the pirate ship here at Patreon. Um, so, uh, New Year's resolutions, Bill. You do New Year's resolutions? Um. Yeah, I guess I do. I mean, but they're always the same, you know, try to lose a little more weight, you know, have a, have a healthy year and hope that my family has a good year, you know? Uh, and I want to say to Jordan, you say here that you, you, you had a tough year. I hope you have a better year in 2020, my friend. Yeah, me too. Um, but, 
uh, true New Year's resolutions? No, you know, I don't smoke. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, uh, not, not rampage at the, uh, Red Leg Nation Christmas party this year. That's my resolution. Your resolution should be to start smoking if you don't smoke. Ew. No, thank you. (laughs) My New Year's resolution this year, uh, it's actually the same one that I had last year that I didn't, uh, wasn't able to accomplish, but I'm going to do it again this year. This is my resolution for, uh, New Year's is in 2020, I'm finally going to complete my first Toyota thon. I'm sorry. I don't know why I am the way I am. <laughs> Rim shot. There you go. Dwight, Dwight Kelly. Dwight Kelly, uh, to, to seriously answer that question, no, I'm don't, don't, not really making any New Year's resolutions, but I am looking forward to, to watching the Reds in 2020. I think it's going to be a fun season. Um, Dwight Kelly, Hash Brown Viewer Mail, what do you guess will become of Alex Wood? No one has signed him yet. And then uh, beating Joe Farsing this question, because Joe usually has these uh, crazy ones. Is the next question is Sting the musical artist or Sting the wrestler? So first of all, what do you guess will become of Alex Wood? Um, I have always thought that the Reds had stood a good chance of re-signing Alex Wood. Now I'm not so sure since they got uh, Wade Miley. Wood would have been a Wade Miley type for me, a, a guy with a great pedigree who, um, you know, if he can stay healthy. Uh, and he clearly liked working with this uh, Reds uh, pitching staff, but uh, or pitching coaches. Um, but I, I, I'm surprised. Are you surprised? As I am, Bill, that we don't heard much about Alex Wood. I would have thought that uh, he'd be somewhere by now. I would have thought. I think what's going to happen is he'll sign a minor league deal somewhere. I'd love to be here. Oh my goodness, yes. Oh, you know, and, and you know, even if he has to start the year in Louisville, at some point we're going to need more than five pitchers. You know, we've said that all along. Um, I give anything for Alex Wood on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Oh, please. Yeah, and and, and maybe that you know. Of course, you know, as the, as the herd thins here as we get closer to spring training, you know, either, either guys get desperate or they're willing to wait and, and, and find the deal they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on the guy. And he, I, hope he, I hope he has an opportunity somewhere. I mean, you know, I like Alex Wood. Um, no issues with him. I was Again, I was hoping the Reds would sign him. Uh, and his last, uh, Dwight's last question, Sting the musical artist or Sting the wrestler? Actually, I'll go with... Old Sting the Wrestler, not, I mean, you know, the original Sting with the blue Sting the Wrestler, not older Sting in the black the Wrestler, over Sting the Music Artist. Okay. I've never heard of Sting the Wrestler, old or new. Um, I don't know anything about Sting the Wrestler. I have heard Sting the Musical Artist, and so since I have heard Sting the Musical Artist, I'm going to choose Sting the Wrestler. Okay. So, um, okay, I think that'll about do it. Uh, for today that's uh that's a fun one we'll wrap her up first podcast of the uh the new decade episode number 303 of red leg nation radio you can find us everywhere you find podcasts please tell your friends about us that's the best way to get people i mean we ask you to go leave ratings and reviews and that absolutely helps people find us but really the best way for people to find us tell your friends about this crazy podcast you listen to um that we are, uh, I think we saw, I saw that uh, we did 62 podcasts in the free feed um, in 2019. And we're going to keep up the, keep it up uh, in the new year. Have a lot of fun. I, I hope uh, following a, re- a really fun Reds team this year. Um, Bill, uh, any final thoughts for, for our, uh, for our audience? I can, I'm look. my new year's resolution. I just thought of it as to be listening to the, uh, Reds playing the world series in October or November. Okay. Well, you resolve to do that and work really hard at it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can with my mental agility 
well, to make that happen. I hope that's not what uh, a cha- world champion is depending on. For Bill Lack <laughs> and Shogo Akiyama, this is Chad Dotson go, go. saying, <laughs> Shogo, go, go. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.